And that's what makes the pleasure so sweet. Don't you care? What I care about is a new skin. Who are you? Explorers in the further regions of experience. Demons to some, angels to others. Oh, no tears, please. It's a waste of good suffering. But if you need us, we'll tear your soul apart. We have such sights to show you. What's up, you creepy fucks? Welcome to the Let's Talk Horror channel with me, BP, on this, well, super psychosexual episode. I'm not going to do one yet, um, but <laughs> but I'll get into that. I'll get into what I'm talking about in a minute. Yeah, we're getting psychosexual, y'all, on this episode. Um, I don't really know what it means, but we'll discover that together. <laughs> but we're talking about Hellraiser, uh, a film that pops up within the horror community all the time. Uh, it's a film that is loved by by many, uh, no matter how old you are, really. That's what I'm, that's one thing I've looked at in, in regards to research. Everybody fucking loves this film. Well, not everyone. Some people fucking hate it, but I mean, what do they know? What do they know, eh? But <laughs> but anyway, uh, but on this episode, I'm joined by, by a guest, thank God, because um, <laughs> I don't know if I can carry this ship on my own anymore. But, but I've got Anastasia with me from uh, Horror Versus Reality, the amazing Horror Versus Reality, and also her own show, Attack of the Killer Objects, which is also bloody brilliant. Hello, you all right? I am wonderful. Hello. Oh, good. I'm glad you're here with me on this one. Happy to be here. Good, on good. Psychosexual day. Psychosexual. So already I would be three shots down. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> this isn't going to go very well. Basically, what I decided, because I opened my mouth, because this is what happens, I talk too much, I thought it would be a funny idea if we did shots every time somebody said the word psychosexual. The problem is, is I think we've said it about four times already. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to do a shot of tequila and you can all hear me do it and probably pass out after one. Ready? Go. Oh, <laughs> fuck me. Ugh. <laughs> so that's tequila. That's what I'm like. And I fucking it's not going well and it's not going to go well. So there's one down. So let's see where <laughs> let's see. Let's fucking see where this goes. eh? Oh, life. So anyway, Hellraiser, that's what we're talking about it. Why Hellraiser? Well, first of all, first of all, what does psychosexual mean? You're probably thinking you're hearing us. Oh, fuck. Hang on. Ugh, fuck. Oh, no, I've got another one coming up. Hang on. So, definition of the psychosexual bucket. This is not going to go well, Anastasia. Uh-oh. Mm. That's three. Film relating to the mental aspects of sex, such as a sexual fantasy or having to do with the psychological aspects of sexuality in contrast to the physical aspect. So I'm sick as shit, and I don't understand any of that. So some examples of this would be films like Hellraiser, American Psycho, Eyes Wide Shut, Silence of the Lambs, Psycho, The Lighthouse, and pretty much anything with either Sharon Stone or Demi Moore. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> or, or just just Google it and you'll figure out. You'll find out. But I mean, have you got? Any, can you think of any more off the top of your head? I would add audition to that. Yeah, that's a good one. But yeah, basically, that's what that word means. I'm not gonna. I'm trying not to say it. But what will happen is because my brain doesn't work, I will keep saying it throughout the episode. I'm already <laughs> three or four shots in. I'm. I'm. You're might have to carry the rest of this episode uh, before I, when I pass out. Um, <laughs> but 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 fuck it anyway. So so that is what that word uh, it means. So so anyway. So let's move on to the, the film that we're actually talking about. Hellraiser. It was released in 1987, September of 1987. Uh, it's directed by the legendary Clive Barker. Yeah, starring Claire Higgins as Julia Cotton, Ashley Lawrence as Kirsty Cotton, Andrew Rob and Andrew I can't even fucking speak now. Andrew Robinson as Larry Cotton, Sean Chapman as Frank Cotton, all the Cottons, Robert Hines as Steve. <laughs> I love just that, just Steve. Um, and all the Cenobites, you've got obviously Doug Bradley as the lead Cenobite, Pinhead, Nicholas Vince as Chattering Cenobite, Simon Bamford as Butterball Cenobite. There's there's more. Um, Grace Kirby as the female Cenobite and Oliver Smith as Skinless Frank or Frank the Monster, as it's got written down here. Um, the film sits at 6.9 on IMDb and 70% on Rotten Tomatoes. Normally, I would say one of them is a bit up, a bit down. I don't know if that's right. But for me, I don't know. That might sit quite well with this film. But I, I mean, loads of people will say I'm fucking wrong there anyway. I think it's pretty close to Good. where it sits about. Yeah, where where it should be, where it should be. But you know, we let them decide. Let the let the listeners decide. They can tell me. They can you know send me messages on Instagram of how fucking wrong I am. So Google synopsis wise, now this is the funniest one that I've read on the show so far. So get fucking ready for this one. Um, a couple moves to an old house to find a man's brother and the wife's former lover. Who, t- who has turned into an ugly beast. He he now bids the woman to bring him human sacrifices to help him be whole again. So one, no mention of the Cenobites or Pinhead. Frank is an ugly beast and he bids the woman <laughs> to bring him human sacrifices. Um, so that's, that's what Google... Well, I mean, one. that's not an inaccurate description. No. It's no. just, here's the thing. It's just, it would be giving too much away to mention the Cenobites in the description, actually. Well, yeah, do you know what? You're, you're probably right. You're, uh, now we've done the absolutely incredible on-point Google synopsis. I'm going to give you my slightly more in-depth, detailed, you know, events of what happened <laughs> in Hellraiser. So the film opens with a fantastic score. And every time I actually forget how good it is. And it it is really good. As soon as the film starts, that score kicks in. And I I, I feel that the score gives it an extra gravitas. It it gives it that sort of bigger feeling, if you get what I mean. Like a grander, you know, cinema experience because of the, the soundtrack from it. Straight from the go. Totally, totally. Uh, and apparently nobody has a nail scrubber because those nails are fucking filthy. True. But, but but we then cut to a cool stylistic shot of some dude between a square of candles playing with a box, but he's only gone and cracked it. And needless to say, he's hooked. There's a pun there. Mm. <laughs> 
So we then cut to some manky looking house where a room looks like a kebab shop I never want to order from. (laughs) (laughs) And we catch a glimpse of someone lurking in the shadows and it's not Sinead O'Connor. Singer of nothing compares to you. Although that song is pretty relevant to this film in so many ways. So one of the sons has returned home to the shithole. I mean, don't watch this film with dinner and he, at all. I mean, it's fucking, it's, it's gross looking. You'll, you'll be put off your dinner. True. And he wants to spruce up the place. And already things are getting sexual. I didn't say it um, because <laughs> there is a weird ornament that's super explicit. And it's obviously Frank's, of course. The mm. other brother, the bloody perv, who has some pics just laying around of his sexual endeavours. And the wife has pocketed them, the dirty bugger. I mean, already the film is already getting sexy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, Clive Barker is known for loving the sex. True. But but quite you know it's already very apparent that this is the driving force of the film is is there um uh, affair. Affair. yeah that's it that's it so nancy thompson i mean kirsty uh, is on the bl- <laughs> is is on the <laughs> is on the blower which i was convinced the tongue was going to come out of but that's in a different film as we know uh, and it didn't which is a shame and she's heading to the new home soon but not before a nice walk along the riverfront for no fucking reason. But she made it and Jesus has been kicked out the house. There was basically loads of fucking all those uh, statues of Jesus and everything. They're all outside. But I wish they probably kept him on the inside with everything else that's happening. Yeah, so that's uh, like their mother's house, right? Yeah, yeah, that's it. They're so, yeah, their mum died. And um, yeah. I think I've got that in here somewhere. I don't know. I think I've got it in here somewhere on my notes. Um, but yeah, the, the mum died and that's pretty much all you hear about it. Mm-hmm. By the way, as well, when they're moving into the house, there's also loads more perverts helping them carrying the shit in like a big massive sofa who are just, you know, being typical, you know, male chauvinist pigs. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but it was the 80s. That's how that's how they get away with it, isn't it? Well, there um, were also some some redeeming qualities about that scene would be like. Oh, was there? Well, uh, yes. Okay, so after they're leering after Kirsty, they're like, "Oh, she's got her mother's looks," and the father's like, "Her mother's dead." Oh yeah, shut him down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Her mum's dead. Oh, 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 oh. Sorry, we we get this upstairs. We get this sofa. We get this sofa upstairs for you, and then we we will be on our way. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so <laughs> already laughing about stuff I shouldn't. Brilliant. And now we find out that not only is Kirsty's real mother dead, there we go, I told you, and never really mentioned again, but we also learn through flashbacks there has been something going on with Julia and Frank in the past. What could that be? We've already said it. They're having sex. Well, that thing, oh, no, I've just written it here. Well, that thing is full-blown sex, <laughs> where we see quite a bit of nakedness, and I'm pretty sure a bit of cock. So, yeah, there's a very like split second there if you pause your VHS tape that some women may have worn that VHS right out right there. A, a bit like a, like Will Smith in Wild Wild West. A bit like that. Um, <laughs> 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 Once again, I told you this was not the sort of film that you need to watch, you know, especially with your parents. Yeah, That's no, my advice. That, Ta- if yeah. you're taking anything away from this, don't watch it with your parents. It'd be fucking awkward. 
It's, it's a um, weird movie to watch with your parents, for sure. <laughs> so this film is wasting no time in getting straight into what the shit has gone down. And the husband has gone and cut himself and he's dripping blood everywhere and makes me laugh by holding his hand out to Julia like a little kid asking him for help and he's overreacting. Um, yeah, that bit, uh, hey. you know, mate, it made hey. me laugh. He's not overreacting. <laughs> he's because... fucking overreacting. No, well, hear me out. Something very similar happened to me quite recently, and it went down a little bit like this. I was shaving in the shower, and it cut the end of my fingernail and took a chunk out of my fingernail. Oh, and it my seat, man. And it bled a surprising amount. And I called my partner and it was like, help, I feel like I'm going to faint. <laughs> and then after a minute of, like, tending to it, he's like, Tiff, that's like our his uh, sister-in-law. We're gonna need you to do something because I can't look at this anymore. Like we had to get a third person in. He's not overreacting. If you're woozy, you're woozy. <laughs> yeah, but did you hold your hand up like a little child? Like I could not look at it. I brought it to <laughs> him with my face turned away. So I th- I think we've had this discussion before where. Um, and I can't. I hope we did anyway. Otherwise, I'll cut this out. But um, <laughs> but basically, I think we we've already spoken. But we're very desensitized to horror with everything that we've seen. We can watch anything horror wise, and you know we're okay. But I'm sure we've had a discussion that when it comes to real life blood, we're not too good around it. Yeah, definitely not. And I'm very much like that. That I can watch anything that happens in a film and i'll sit there with my gummy bears and laugh my fucking ass off but if i'm watching one of those like real life a and e programs like the ambulance programs and stuff oh, I, as I soon as somebody goes in there yeah if somebody goes in there and be like oh i've got a paper cut that's me i'm fucking i'm on the floor passed out i can't handle <laughs> it but how yeah. fucking weird how fucking weird is that right that we can't like we can literally watch anything like you know like we've already said terrified too laughing my ass off that shit I should not be laughing at. And yet, Same. you know, can't, can't see a fucking paper cut in real life. Can I tell you life. something, like an interesting aside real fast? Yeah. So the first time I saw Terrifier 2, no problems, laughed my balls off, you know, um, enjoying myself. The second time I saw it, I went to a theater. Um, there was a double feature being shown. I took a friend who had never seen either of the films. Oh, you so it was. Devil. Yeah, so it was the first one and the second one at the planetarium on the big curved planetarium screen. Stop and- it, you. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> and it was awesome. And one of the like people who put it together was dressed up as art. And he walked around the theater for uh, throughout the film. And every now and then he would honk a little bicycle horn. <laughs> and it was it was magical and I live in the United States in a legal state so I took a gummy a THC gummy before the movie yeah, not like not one of my haribos not a haribo now <laughs> and <laughs> so I was fine it didn't hit me until Terrifier 2 so like it didn't hit me throughout the first oh movie okay so so when that when that happened it hit me. You know, shit got a bit real. It hit me right after the goriest scene in Terrifying. Oh, no. Yeah. So I'm watching that where the mom comes in and sees her daughter. And 
unso high <laughs> that and that it's like I've sinked sunk into the room with them and my stomach just dropped. And I turned to my friend and was like, I think I'm gonna have to like go sit against the tiles in the bathroom for a sec. But I think it's <laughs> only because I'm really high. Because I've seen this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah like at least you had that to fall back on like it wasn't it like your first viewing and you were like oh no it's just you know it's just because I'm high it's nothing yeah, to do with the, the like, absolute every fucking you know things that all the nasty shit that's happened on the screen it's just because well, I'm high but you well, could fall back on that well it's true though because like I was totally fine with the same scene when I was sober <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. so but to, when I was just that high, because it was a pure THC gummy that had no CBD. Oh, so, okay. So like entirely psychoactive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe uh, we're, we're in the UK, so we're all fucking prison here with all that sort of stuff. We can't do anything fun That's over true. here. So, That's you know, may, maybe after not, all these shots I trying, fucking do. <laughs> not trying to uh, rub salt in the wound. All yeah, right, yeah, okay. whatever. Don't worry about it. You've already done that with watching everything at the cinema. I mean, I can't <laughs> help that we have like a cool group of horror nerds that do cool shit in my town. Yeah, we need to listen. Anybody that's listening to this, if you're a horror nerd, we need to start getting this shit going in the UK. Hit me up if you want to start looking at private screenings of horror films so we can watch films like Terrifier and get absolutely wasted and have fun. Hit me up. Let's have some fucking fun because uh, the UK has got to do something right. Anyway, um, <laughs> so, so anyway, um, basically what had happened is that the, uh, the guy cut himself and held his hand out like a little baby. Uh, but then hang on what the shit is happening the blood is soaking into the floor and before we know it we get some smoke and some bubbling goop and then some weird slimy arms and something is taking shape in some gross but amazing practical effects um already they look fucking cool they do and i would like to point out that from the time we first met frank where he's like in this meditative trying to open the puzzle box state and he's just sweating balls. The next time, <laughs> the next, the next time we see Frank, he's standing out in the rain. So he's drenched then. Now he's a globule monster and you never see this man dry in the entirety of the film is what I'm getting no, he's, at. He's pretty, he's pretty sloppy, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So, so we are now at the dinner table where no one knows what the fuck has just gone on upstairs. And some dude is eyeing up Kirsty and does some rad trick with a cigarette, which is fucking cool to be honest. Um, but but the, but the wife, but the wife's lady Julia is not in the mood to mingle and pisses right off. But obviously, she heads right up to the room where there is presumably ectoplasm everywhere. But this is just a bit of sick for the rats to eat. Which is fucking gross. Um, yeah, but you know what else, though? Like, even if her new boyfriend wasn't, like, waiting for her up there, like, she's just weird anyway. She's definitely yeah. classist. She was totally yeah. looking down her nose at them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's She thinks she's above it all, doesn't she? Yeah, she's a total bitch. 
yeah yeah we get you know we can fucking get right into that later i'll tell you we can go right in on her um but, be, but, be, but like you know already just yeah from- we already know she's an absolute yeah. fucking douchebag um yeah <laughs> but before we know it Julia is grabbed on the leg by some monster that's crawled, or some ugly beast, as Google referenced him, that's crawling after her. And guess, <laughs> and guess what? It's only bloody Frank looking bloody horrible. But what is not horrible is how cool the effects and makeup is. I really do love seeing films like this from the good old days. But obviously, more on that later. We'll talk about that. But it just looks fantastic. Um, you know, this is you know, the love affair that everybody has with these sort of films from the 80s and the 70s. Just, you know, we we don't really get it anymore, do we? And um, how fucking cool does it look still to this day? It looks, it looks incredible. I love the old school practical effects. Yeah. I know, I know not everyone appreciates them. They have the like 2022 current graphic goggles to everything <laughs> and i think you just have to like let yourself go back in time when you watch films like this and appreciate them for what they yeah. were for the time yeah. period i mean we've already had this discussion sort of already before about you know horror genre fans and so on and what's great about being sort of brought up you know when we were and obviously before that as well that there these films there was, and I'm not saying there isn't now, but the practical effects was almost one of the things that helped create the film it, and, and what led the film to be what it was. Without being able to create these effects or the practical effects, there's so many scenes that we just wouldn't have, you know, take the episode that we did, the thing, you know, that is one of, if not the greatest film that will showcase practical effects. Totally. And without them, would it have been as iconic? More than likely not. As much as John Carpenter and Kurt Russell's beautiful beard. Um, <laughs> we'll talk, I'm talking about it again. Go and listen to that episode. It's bloody brilliant. We talk about his beautiful beard um, a lot. But it, without these effects driving these films, we probably wouldn't have this affinity, this love that we have for this genre or these films or the imagery that's so iconic stuck in our brains about them, because they are very much for me as a child, the driving force for these films or my love for these films. The special effects are so integral to the history of horror. That's why Hellraiser really, I think, and I feel that you've got everything else that's obviously going on in Hellraiser. But for me, you know that that's a huge part of Hellraiser that helps it stand out. Is is the aesthetic looks, the the practical effects of it, because once again it becomes an icon of horror because of it. Totally, and I mean it brings uh, aspects of S to the mainstream in a way that had not really been done before, and that was huge. Yes, yeah, it was, and we all know once again Clive Marker loves a bit of that. Um, <laughs> so, 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 so anyway he so any- himself as being about a six on that scale yeah oh really yeah oh really um, well, one to ten he's about a six. Oh well you know that's above average isn't it a little bit yeah 
<laughs> so anyways, Julia is now in shock and you can see why, because she's probably thinking, I would definitely not sleep with Frank again looking like this. But he's trying to get Julia to help him to get more blood so then it can become less like an ugly beast. So Kirsty and her potential lover, Steve, they're always fucking called Steve, aren't they? Every boyfriend is called Steve. Yeah, I mean, my mate, I've got a mate called Steve, one of my best mates, you know, shout out to my, one of my best mates, Steve. I love you. But yeah, they are always called Steve, although the best Steve is always going to be Steve Harrington. Oh, that's true. <laughs> but hair. they are take Yeah, exactly. All about the hair. So they are now taking a stroll. Uh, when she gets stared down by some dirty beard man with beautiful blue eyes. He, who, I mean, who the bloody hell is he? He just pops up and he's just like, hello, hello. Um, creeping his way through barn doors. Um, they never explain him really the entire no. film. Well, I can sort of explain him a little bit at the end. Uh, well, a little a, bit, but a he's little really bit. a mystery. For the he most is a re- yeah, he's pretty much a mystery. I might not even make it to the end of the episode yet, so you might have to take that. So anyways, <laughs> um, they, they carry on on their walk and they share a passionate kiss with Steve. Um, we are not the man yeah, not... with the giant beard. Not the beard man. <laughs> not, not beautiful blue eyes with the beard. Um, <laughs> it, it, with Steve. Um, <laughs> we are, she, she hasn't just chipped Steve off and been like, oh, I like him. <laughs> anyway, so we are now in bed, obviously, dirty film and julia is thinking about the game of sex she had with frank but currently ugly frank is feeling sorry for himself but julia the mad muppet is going to help frank anyways the now we <laughs> yeah <laughs> she's the absolute muppet so 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 now we are in Kirsty's dream which is super bloody weird where the, where there's chicken feathers everywhere and a body laying down with blood everywhere and there's a baby crying but luckily steve is here to wake her up from the nightmare which is a cool little scene that as well because one minute you're in this dream but then it's steve wake that wakes up and you think it's his dream but then it's not his dream it's it's kirsty's dream that's right isn't it yeah yes. kirsty's dream feels like a david lynch film yes it does it does very much so you are you are absolutely correct um yeah it just doesn't really make sense which is what no. i think of david lynch um <laughs> <laughs> So, so now Julia is out on the pool with no hesitation because she's decided she's going to help ugly beast Frank. Frank must be good in the sack because she would presumably do anything for him, even murder. But I mean, uh, also, when we see the flashback scenes, they have just from what we've seen, they've like met, immediately yes. jumped each other's bones. And then she's yeah. like, I'd do anything for you. It's, it's, I just I, met you. It's like, open the door. Oh, by the way, it's raining outside. Can I come in? Yeah, I can come in, but only if you fuck me. Okay, well, I'll come in and fuck you. Well, by the way, I fucking love you. Yeah, it's that's, bizarre. That's, that, that's real life relationships right there. That's practically EastEnders. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so anyway, she's down for anything, even murder. As she properly does in a dozen a guy right over the bonds with a hammer and leaves Frank to presumably munch away. Basically, he starts eating him. Dirty bastard. But when she returns, it's an absolute fucking mess in there. But Frank is taking proper shape again, albeit still looking very jizzy. Yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) They they have this, they had this like weird little uh, jizzy texture on him, um, which is, you know, I don't really know what it is. 
It's just um, like a new extra layer of slime. Ectoplasm. Well, yeah, ectoplasm. Like that. That. Ec- ectoplasm from the ghosts. Yeah, um, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so Larry, the husband, is home and she needs to hide the body quick and clean herself up from the bloody sex. But the job's not done. Frank needs more blood. So Kirsty works in a pet shop, which is something I always forget because there is a bloody snake in there. And I shit myself every time I watch it because I'm fucking terrified of snakes. Um, so anything uh, every time I watch this film I completely forget that you you can show me some of the nastiest shit ever fucking thing but as I said if you show me a snake or a spider I'm going to fucking smash everything up in my sight Um, but and also you you can assume that I did not sleep the night I watched in prep for this show and and that's very true I just as soon as I see a snake or or a spider nightmare city that's where I'm going but now that yeah it's a shame but now that dirty Jesus beard man is back and he's in the pet shop where the fucking mental is eating locusts or whatever they are. I don't know what they are. I don't know if they're meant to be locusts. I could be wrong. Um, they are crickets, which are common crickets. food in pet shops. Right, there we go. You're right. Um, and they then and, uh, and Kirsty tells him to piss right off. She, he's like, she's like, get the fuck out of here. And he's um, like just casually leaving, still eating yeah. the crickets as he leaves. He's, you know, that's his dinner, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just to reiterate, they didn't make out earlier. It was her, her and her boyfriend, Steve. Yeah. Um, so Julia. Are a yeah. good source of protein, though. I <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's all he's trying to do. He's getting hench. Um, <laughs> J- Julia is back at it again and brings home another victim for Frank to regenerate off from. Um, if you don't really understand from this point, I mean, I'm sure you've seen the film, but basically um, Julia is going out and basically going to up to blokes, uh, predominantly bald or ugly, and going, you want to bang me? Come over to my house. That's basically it. And then obviously she's luring them in for, for ugly beast Frank man with his ectoplasm face to mm-hmm. eat. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, even though he definitely is not looking normal yet, he's wearing clothes. <laughs> this is right? Frank. And, and making them all bloody, which is utterly pointless, if you ask me. But it is the 80s. So alive or dead, he's probably coked right up to his fucking brains. Um, <laughs> but also at this point, he sounds just like Liam Neeson in Dark Man, which, which is Ooh, also something that makes... Yeah, it does. It reminds he reminds every time I hear him, I'm like, hang on a minute, because I was just like, oh, he stole that from Neeson. But then I was like, no, this film was before Neeson, so yes. <laughs> um, so now Neeson stole the voice from Frank. Um, <laughs> I, I assume it must be the prosthetics. I don't think he probably sat there in Hellraiser and went, I want to sound like Frank. Where he was like, oh, I don't know. Um, I'm pretty sure he probably didn't want to do so, that. Yeah. But but yeah, going back to it, why the fuck is he wearing a suit? I don't know, but can I interject here just for a second? Oh, yeah, go on. So that scene where the husband comes home is so weird. Yeah. He walks in and he says, you want a cookie, little girl? And then she's like, hide. It's so bizarre. She's hiding in the bathroom. She's like, oh, I'm just not feeling very well. And and then he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Can I get you anything? And she's like, maybe a brandy. Who drinks a brandy if you're not feeling well? Listen, this is this is the UK. You got to remember, we you know, brandy solves problems that you wouldn't believe. Doesn't um, now. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't solve anything. It doesn't solve anything. But it helps you get to sleep quicker. 
which is well, really sure. good. But I don't know. know. Like, the way she sounds, you presume that, like, maybe she's yeah. had a stomach issue. I'll, I'll have a brand alcohol- An alcohol has never solved a stomach issue is all I'm saying. Just makes you pass out, and then you forget about it. So it sort of solves it. <laughs> um. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Moving on. <laughs> but now we finally are going to learn a little bit more about the mythology of the puzzle box. And what it is... Uh, and finally, we get a proper look at the Cenobites who are giving Frank pain and pleasure, although this does not pl- look pleasurable to me in the slightest. But I suppose you don't really know until you try, uh, which I'm not ah. going to try. No. Um, so, so, so either Julia has just stubbed her toe or she has made a weird sound after the puzzle box thing as has shown her what Frank went through. And she's probably hoping that doesn't happen to her. But either way, she's committed to helping Frank get his perfectly trimmed beard back. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is, it is a beautiful beard. Uh, for sure, beards. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, not for sure Russell good. No, it's not. Why do we? This happens every time we bloody do one, doesn't it? We start talking about beards again. Well, you don't. I start it. <laughs> you I start started it. About, listen, it's because I've grown growing a beard. This is what happens. Mm, yeah, okay. I know. That's it. I know. I've got my references. Kurt <laughs> and, and, and Ugly Beast Frank, but with more skin. So now, for no reason uh, at all, unless it's because he's in pain, Frank is making an absolute racket upstairs. And Larry is heading, heading upstairs to investigate. And even the nymphomaniac Julia couldn't stop him with sexual persuasion. Like I said, he's getting super psychosexual. There we go. Hang on. I've done one. All right. All right. Ready? Yep. Fuck me. Mm. Every time I do one, I forget what the other one tasted like. <laughs> um, 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 well, crack and rum's not too bad. Oh, no. Tequila. I forgot how much it's the fucking devil. But but, but luckily, there you is nothing. you have wine and salt? Uh, no, I don't have that. I haven't gone full hog. Basically, what I'm doing, I'm cheating. I've got buzz balls. And I'm just doing shots of buzz balls, but it's all tequila. So, um, you know, I love buzz balls and they're not a sponsor yet. They fucking should be. Um, (laughs) Because then I can fucking drink them for the rest of my life. Do you know what? No, fuck off. I'm not doing that again. I will do it again. Don't you worry. (laughs) I'm just just saying I won't because I'm being a fucking pussy. Um, (laughs) But luckily, but luckily there is nothing there. Just the normal, and by normal, I mean some poor little rats nailed to a wall. And now she is getting her way, but for once with her actual husband. Well, until Frank pops out of the closet and for some really weird reason cuts up a rat in front of her. It's a bit bloody weird, and obviously that's not sexy at all. Well, no, because then she's like, oh, God, no, please don't, please don't. (laughs) Yeah, it feels fucking weird, isn't it? Yeah, and he's like, I just, I don't understand you. <laughs> no, what are you want about? I'm just cutting up a rat in front of you. I thought you'd like this. <laughs> <laughs> but get, but after getting shut down for sexy time, Larry is, now, that's her husband, Larry, is now out for dinner with Kirsty, you know, his daughter who pops up every now and again, and thus far has had no relevance to the story. But she is just caught Nympho Julia going out, bringing another man home. She goes full hammer time again, and it's feeding time for Jizzy Face Frank. Kirsty has made it into the house, but gets startled by the victim's manky face. But then she gets grabbed by <coughs> Uncle Frank, 
where he is being super creepy, but she kicks him right in the cock and grabs the puzzle box, but she chucks it right out the window and heads out to pick it up and buggers off with it. And on the walk home, she collapses like a junkie, which I presume is from the shock, because if it's not that, then I have no fucking idea what she's playing at. I mean, in that scene, well, those two sort of scenes, there's two things that's weird. One, why is Frank so fucking noncy? Yeah. Um, because that's fucking weird. And they don't obviously explore that too much in the film. But I don't know. Are you supposed to think that something's happened? Or between them? Yeah, like, because obviously, you know, she's only young and he says these fucking weird things to her all the time. And, you know, well, how she's growing up, grown up nicely. But I think he's, you know, like everyone's got that pervy person in the family that you just know to be like guarded around pervy uncle frank yeah yeah he's pervy uncle frank but let's get to real here the real reason she's freaked out is because fucking look at him he doesn't have yeah 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 i'd be more worried i'd be like you know what masochist it looks like this and wears a suit that's my first thing i'd be thinking of i i my my first question would be where is your skin yeah. Oh no, mine would be why are you wearing a suit? And then I'd be like, where's your skin? Yeah. But yeah. but also, but I mean, come on. It's like, oh, it's you, Uncle Frank, really? I couldn't tell since you don't have your skin on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but now that you've you forgot said, to put your skin on. Yeah, but now that you said come to daddy, I'm definitely oh, Frank, come that to you. bastard. I knew it fucking would be. I didn't recognize you without your skin on. right oh my god but also the next bit as well is i like it's really weird because obviously she fucks off and then halfway down the road she's like passing out and shit so um i don't know that obviously that was just you know to evolve the story into the next scene i think it was they're like how do we get her into the hospital Um, that's so weird too though so because she passes by like a group of nuns Yes. Nuns would not let a young woman just pass out in the street and just leave her there. No, no, unless they're like Whoopi Goldberg in Sister Act, where they're undercover. <laughs> <laughs> then they this, might. This is not Whoopi Goldberg in Sister Act, despite the um, American That's... distributors <laughs> chant, despite the American distributors' um, efforts say to scrub London from oh, okay. this movie. Yes. This movie is in London. Yeah. It's yeah, filmed it in London. They even left lines in. Like, there's a line specifically where he says to Julia, Well, you're back on your home turf. Yeah. As opposed to being in Brooklyn, where they were previously. And yeah. everything looks British. As an American, you're acutely aware of this. Yes. Yeah. It, it, it's very British. But we, we, we'll talk a bit more about that later. we get into that as well. I can't wait to delve into this film a bit more. So the film is definitely getting weirder by now. I mean, it's fucking, it's all, it's been fucking weird from the start, but it's even weirder now in terms of what the hell is going on or what has gone on previously. Did Frank do horrible things to Kirsty? Is it really taking it there? What does the flower mean when we get a glimpse of that just before we see Kirsty? The film is now asking us to understand things by providing very little but let's <laughs> but i'll move on i'll move on so kirsty is now in a hospital and dizzy as fuck but for some reason the police want to speak to her and don't explain why what the fuck has she done apart from pass out on the street 
Um, um, I, I'm gonna assume that they think that she was a junkie because I was just about to say maybe maybe they did maybe they just thought she was a junkie and chucked her in there but like where's the drugs so so as so as you do when you're when you've just been uh, just just stolen a puzzle box from your Nancy uncle Kirsty decides to try and figure the puzzle box out but the big twat and obviously you know shit's gonna fucking go down and absolutely hit the fan and the wall starts splitting down the middle and the normal thing to do you know what normal people do is to take a stroll down that fucking big hole that's opened up in the wall not as if anything would bad would happen but i mean guess what it you know things do happen it's bad it's fucking horrible i mean a sane person would be smushed as far as they could against the door going oh my god what the yeah. hell you just <laughs> knock on the door and be like uh attendant and they'll be like what there's a big hole in my wall and then they're like oh that's that's not normally there game that's it end of end of the movie somebody comes in and fixes it that's Nancy Tom- over that yeah, in this, Nancy Thompson, I mean, Kirsty, sorry, she uh, she goes and has a good old walkabout around it. Um, but what does happen to her, because she's an absolute mug, um, she gets chased back down the hallway um, by some fucking weird, ugly monster thing that's got, like, little biddly arms that uses it for legs. They call it the engineer. Uh, okay, that's what it's called, is it? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and also, it's also taking twice as long for her to actually get out of this hallway uh, in relevance to how far she walked into it. So, um, yes. but obviously, obviously she gets out in the nick of time. Just but it's not, no, just in the nick of time. But it's no. not over yet. As the Cenobites turn up, where old Chatterface goes two fingers deep into Kirsty's mouth. And we, <laughs> and we, and we finally hear Pinhead's legendary no, voice. Those fingers did not taste good. They did not taste good, no. And we finally hear Pinhead's legendary voice. And I mean, he really is a great character and has some great lines in this film. Um, once again, that is something I will talk about more later. But Kirsty has the cojones to bargain with them and by informing them that Frank has escaped from their clutches and she can lead them to him. We are now back at home and now presumably that Larry has been killed. Uh, well, we now presume, sorry, that Larry has been killed by the world's worst brother, and Frank is now in his skin. And obviously, the first thing to do is leave the house. Oh, oh, hang on. No, no, it's not to leave the house. It's to, once again, have a bit of sex. They literally cannot get enough of each other. It's so gross. It's, yeah, it's fucking gross. Now, Kirsty is back at home and is pretty upset. And Frank is now posing as her dad. But she is persistent and wants to see Frank's dead body. But the Cenobites have returned and things are really heating up. Kirsty now knows that Frank is wearing his da- her dad as a meat suit and messes his face up. But Julie grabs her and he goes to stab her with some with a switchblade because obviously in the eighties that's what that was the go to accessory mm. for all men. She quickly moves and Frank stabs Julie instead, but he literally doesn't give a shit. You know this woman like, that absolutely me? yeah this woman that literally will do anything after you know the first first game of sex they ever have and she's <laughs> that's it she's his forever she loves him she wants to worship him she will do she murders for him but yeah he's like nah fuck off <laughs> so Kirsty is now going stealth mode to evade capture from nonce man frank but she does well considering some maggot face person falls on her but that is until she's absolutely dumb as fuck 
and leaves the room and just stands there, <laughs> which I never fucking understand. Um, obviously, you know what bit I mean. You know, there she she's evading capture. She's got this fucking dead body that falls on her, and like it's not exactly a big house. We know it's not. It's fucking tiny. And then she just stands on the top of the banister, thinking, oh, "I'm never going to get caught." But obviously, <laughs> you know, she she does. Then after just standing there doing nothing, Frank just finds her and sneaks up behind her and pulls out the blade, switchblade, again. But bad news for him, because Pinhead and his crew are back to get the nasty bastard. And he gets chained and hooked up, and even just before he's ripped apart, he's still being creepy. But yeah, he's definitely dead now. The Cenobites are still after Kirsty, but she figures out the puzzle box again, <laughs> just, you know, as you do, and then mm-hmm. makes them all disappear. But the weird monster thing from earlier is back and his little arms are trying to get the box from Kirsty. I'm not going to lie. I laugh my ass off every time I see his little arms. I know. And he's trying to get the box from Kirsty, but she's like, no, fuck right off. And he does. Yeah. They are now freed from the clutches of the Cenobites and make it outside where for some reason she throws a metal box into the fire thinking that it will work out just fine. But then Jesus Beard Man with beautiful blue eyes is back and he grabs it from the fire. But then he gets set on fire because he's standing in the fucking middle of it. And But then he turns into a winged skeleton creature that fucks right off with the box where we are now back where the film began, where presumably... It all starts again from some other old dirty pervert. The end. That is basically what happens in Hellraiser. Pretty much. Yeah, it's pretty much it. Just like, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit more detailed than Google. Yeah, I mean, a little bit. <laughs> Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Yeah. So, so now we will move on to what I always love to shove into the, uh, to the episodes is some production info. Um, because I want you to learn to learn a little bit more about the film that we're talking about. So with not being a fan of the prior cinematic adaptions of his work, Barker decided to attempt to, to direct the film himself. Now, Barker admitted his own lack of knowledge on filmmaking, stating that he didn't know the difference between a 10 millimeter lens and a 35 millimeter lens. Oh, sacrilege. Well, and shit, it, he literally went to check out a book on directing like the day before <laughs> they're supposed to shoot. He fucking knew. Um, if you'd show he also was known as quoted uh, as being quoted as to saying, if you'd have shown me a plate of spaghetti and said that was a lens, I might have believed you. <laughs> I mean, I've I've seen spaghetti in real life, and I can tell you it's not a camera lens. It's not. I've eaten it. Gee, what? Well, then you definitely know. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so Christopher Rigg, uh, almost called him Riggs, which is not Mel Gibson from Lethal Weapon, um, agreed to produce the New World Pictures and he agreed to fund the film for 900000 Hellraiser yeah. was filmed at the end of 1986 and was set to be made in seven weeks, but, but it was extended over nine to ten weeks. The film was originally made under the working title of I can't fucking hell. Can I can, I can't pronounce that? Hang on. Sodo masochists. That's so, that's yeah, got yeah. is that right? That's, that's right. We, oh hang on. I've, I haven't even said it all yet. Hang on. The sadomasochists from Beyond the Grave. Thank God it fucking wasn't that. Um Barker <laughs> also <laughs> what <laughs> Barker also wanted I'm gonna do a shot for that actually forgetting that. Here we go. Mm. Woo. 
Nope, regret that. Fucking hell. What a dickhead. Barker also wanted to call the... Uh, oh, God, it's come back on me. Barker also wanted to call the film Hellbound, but Christopher Figg <coughs> suggested Hellraiser instead. During production, Doug Bradley, the man that played Pinhead, had trouble hitting his marks during his, um, his takes in makeup as he could not see through his black contact lenses and was afraid of tripping over Pinhead's skirts. I mean, at least he didn't have to worry about, a, you know, a suit to, uh, you know, to fall over like Frank's bloody jizzy body. <laughs> the special effects of the unnamed creature known as the engineer. Oh, no, you were right. In the novels, uh, which I believe was the flying. Oh, no, I've got it wrong here. I thought it was the flying skeletal beast at the end. Um, but I'm wrong. You're right. It was the weird little arm creature thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the engineer. So ignore everything I've just said. Um, other <laughs> issues, uh, other issues included a rushed shoot of the Chinese restaurant scene with Kirsty and Larry due to the lateness of the person responsible for letting the cast and crew into the establishment. I mean, I would be fucking livid if that happened. Imagine that. Like you're trying to do, you know, a fucking film and the bloke's just like, I had to do some orders. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm fucking late. I mean, I'd be ticked off, but, yeah. you know, whatever. Well, I suppose it's, you know, the life of small-budget movies, you know? Yeah, right. Uh, numerous props of the puzzle box constructed from wood and cut-out brass uh, were produced by special effects designer and maker Simon Sayes, which is not his correct pronunciation of his name. That's all I can do because I can't read names. Um, <laughs> due to the box's delicate construction, Sayes would lie on the floor under the Cenobites during some takes in case it dropped in order to save himself the eight hours it took to create another. So that's commitment, if mm. in all honesty. It is. Uh, and the film, funnily enough, had two editors. Yeah, you do the same thing. Like, do I just sit here and, and, you know, and just catch it if I have to, or do I do another eight hours work? So, you know, he did the right thing, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the film had two editors, Richard Marden and the uncredited Tony Randall. Not to be confused with the actor from The Odd Couple. Is his name Tony Randall? Yes. Don't confuse him then. Or maybe he isn't. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Clive Barker had to make some cuts on the film after the MPAA originally gave it an X rating. Mm-hmm. Two and a half shots were taken out from the first hammer murder, including a close-up of the hammer lodged in the victim's head. And some in the scene, shots. Yeah, like, <laughs> don't take that shit out. I want to see it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in the scene where Julia murders another man, the actor playing the victim felt that it made sense for him to do so naked, which is really fucking weird. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, it's weird that he suggested that, right? <laughs> but the nude murder scene was shot, but ultimately replaced with a semi-clothed version. I mean, if it's the guy that's like, you know, bald and well ugly, I can see why. You know, man, you can put a little clothes on. We're good. We're good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Do you, do you want me to do this bit? Should I do this naked? Oh, mm, nah. No, don't no, don't do this one naked. You sure? Yeah. No, just leave, leave your clothes on. Leave your clothes on. And then he was really upset. He was upset about it. That's exactly how it went down. Yeah, That's how it went down. Yeah. Um, also, close-ups of Kirsty sticking her hand into Frank's stomach 
exposing his guts, a, a, a longer version of the scene where Frank is being torn into pieces and the final shot where his head explodes were also cut. That's a shame. Uh, that yeah, fun. exactly. Basically, should have kept them all in. Barker also said that the seduction scene between Julia and Frank was initially a lot more explicit, obviously, mm. because it's all fucking sexy. Um, we, we did a version of this scene. This is a quote. We did a version of this scene where he had some spanking in it, obviously. And the MPAA was not very appreciative of that. Lord knows where the spanking footage is. Somebody has it somewhere. Clive Barker, probably. The MPAA told me I was allowed two consecutive buttock thrusts from Frank, but three is deemed to be obscene. So for any movie makers out there, remember... You can only do two buttock thrusts because three will get you banned. I think that's like three in a row. Like you can do two and then like, I don't know, five. What, like like one, two, I'm really tired. Wait a minute, three. Or like and then one, you're fine. two, roll over, exposition scene, sounds, Pop. birds flying, roll thrust. back, thrust. <laughs> and, then, and then that's it. And then you get that's a PG. It. Um, <laughs> uh, more like an R, probably. probably more R. than likely. After filming, Newell convinced Barker to relocate the story to the United States, which required overdubbing to remove remove some English accents. Obviously, we you've touched on this already before, but yeah, the film is quite clearly set in the UK, mm-hmm. but they wanted it to be an American movie, um, it which I feel don't American at all. It doesn't, they haven't done a good job. Let's no, just say that. All they, like, all they did was edit out a couple of, overdub a couple of accents. Yeah. They didn't even like, edit them all out. <laughs> in all honesty, even when I was a kid to now watching it the other day in prep for this episode, there, not at any point do I ever think that this is an American movie. I'm conv- Even the people that are talking with an American accent in it, I'm like, they're English. I just, I don't know what it is. It's just, it just feels a very British movie. It is. It's very British. All I think when I see, hear the American accents are, oh, they have family over there. They're just living there now. <laughs> They're just living there. That's it. With regards to the fantastic score that I mentioned earlier, for the film, interestingly, Barker originally wanted the electronic music group Coil to perform the music for the film. Basically, Coil, they make very strange music that, though experimentally intriguing, uh, would not have been the sort of grande score that the film got, in my opinion. Also, also they couldn't afford them. No, so they actually recorded a score, I believe, but then that Barker loved, but then also that was rejected because they felt that it was too harsh for the film. Yeah. Apparently, apparently. Um, but I, I mean, it I, released later on. Oh, did it? I see. I didn't even know. I didn't know it got released. So that'd be interesting to go and give it a listen to. Well, anyway, editor Tony Randall, not the Tony Randall that you mentioned earlier on, um, (laughs) then suggested Christopher Young as a replacement to do the film's score. Young had previously composed scores for other horror films, such as the 1985 smasher A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, and the 1986 Toby Hooper film Invaders from Mars. But I can't really watch this film without thinking of that score anyway. I really feel the Nightmare 2 vibe for sure, though. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's just, um, 
it's a real, really fantastic score. Uh, this, I think, this is. I won't go into too much about my takeaways from it and and how I felt over the, God knows how many times I've watched this film, but from the get go, the 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 score to this film is one of the the driving influences of of it for me. It's a great soundtrack, absolutely. Great so soundtrack. with the release. Um, of Hellraiser and its first public showing on the 10th of September 1987 in the UK. The film was released in the United States on the 18th of September uh, and in the same year and it grossed 14, well over, about it's about 14 and a half million in the United States and Canada and it made 763,000 in the UK. Hellraiser was initially banned in Ontario uh, by the Ontario, I've probably said that wrong, so sorry, um, no, film at, and, and video review board, uh, and it was banned because of its brutal graphic violence with blood throughout horror and torture. But in 1987, Hellraiser was passed by the Ontario Film Review Board, but only after several cuts were made to the film. But other than that, it had about a budget around £1 million and the film quite clearly was a commercial success by making so much money. Yeah, absolutely. Just gets snowballs into 11 movies pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Oh. Um, reviews in the UK were very positive, where one referred to the film as Barker's dazzling debut that creates such an atmosphere of dread that the astonishing set pieces simply detonate in a chain reaction of cumulative words that I can't pronounce, intensity, uh, and concluded that the film was a serious, intelligent and disturbing horror film. Reviews in the United States, though, were not as great. The, the New York Times stated that Barker would cast uninteresting actors while the special effects aren't that bad and the washington post referred to the film as a dark frequently disturbing and occasionally terrifying film but also argued that barker's vision hasn't quite made the conversation from paper to celluloid but ultimately irrelevant of the positive or negative reviews whether it's the uk or the us it is now spawned like you said multiple films in an ongoing franchise that even as of this year uh, has been revived in 2022. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen it yet. I do want to see it. I've seen it. I enjoyed it. Good. Good. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, let's, let's hope we see more of it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and these films come up a lot in this horror verse, like I mentioned right at the start of this episode. And as a fan of this genre, pretty much my whole life, this film has come up so many times throughout and the fandom of this film still goes strong and those such strong characters in the Cenobites and uh, it's an intriguing idea behind it all and it's easy to see why once again I keep saying it but I'll talk a little bit more about it later but the Cenobites they're great characters and I think they are one of the things in this film that keep you uh, you know looking out for more you've got a lot going on in this film um, but you sort of keep on going, where, where, uh, where's that guy with the pins in his head? Yeah, and I mean, he only has like eight minutes screen time total, but he really commands his presence when he is yeah. there. It's, it's really a, a really a fantastic performance. Right, before I go into too much about the film itself, um, let's, let's start talking about the facts. 
So fact number one, Pinhead wasn't supposed to be a poster boy. The movie poster for Hellraiser had Pinhead front and centre, but that is not what it was supposed to look like. Instead, actor Doug, Bra Doug Bradley said that director Clive Barker didn't want the Cenobite on the poster. He wanted the skinned version of Frank to be on the poster and then leave the reveal of the Cenobites for the movie itself, which sort of makes sense. But then at the same time, doesn't. Um, <laughs> I think it's better that you see the reveal of Frank, actually. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, you know, the draw for the film is is the Cenobites, right? Pinhead and the iconography of what he brings to the series and horror. So to have him front and centre on your poster, irrelevant whether he's, you know, or, or, the, or the Cenobites are the main focus for the story, is almost irrelevant when you have such starking imagery, you know what I mean? And aesthetically pleasing horror icons such as the Cenobites. Yeah. If, you know, if that makes any sense. I think it does. I think it um, does. <laughs> so number two, the Cenobites design. Barker said that the design for the Cenobites was strongly influenced by punk Catholicism. That's not a word, is it? Catholicism? Catholicism. Catholicism. Catholicism, that is a word, and the visits he would take, here we go, to S&M clubs in New York and Amsterdam. Barker quoted, wanted the Cenobites to be brutal, refined, malignant, oh God, I nearly said malignant, then I nearly made myself sick, magnificent <laughs> and equally horrifying, just like malignant. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, basically, Clive Barker loves sex. You know, he's supersonic asexual. Here we go. I'm doing it. I just mm -hmm. said it just to just have another shot. Mm. Why not? Gross. <laughs> Number three. Oh, by the way, I am actually doing these. I'm not just making it up. No one can see me. That's the thing on a podcast. I could just be lying. But mo pretty much all of you can probably by tell by now by because I can't fucking read that I'm pissed. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Number three. Pinhead almost went head-to-head -head with Freddy versus Jason. In Freddy versus Jason, the film, which was released in 2003 to a horde of horror fans who wanted to see the two classic horror characters face off against each other. In the early drafts of the film, however, Pinhead was supposed to appear when the two characters arrived in hell. The movie would also help show the origins of Pinhead and how the hell dimension worked. I mean, it would have been interesting, but I don't think I would have probably thought it would have worked. I think it's best to keep Hellraiser and their version of a hell dimension within yeah. their own. And also, yeah. as as most horror fans do know, that the person that also was going to be a part of this movie was was Ash from, from the Evil Dead universe. So they were, uh, you know, looking at doing a Freddy versus Jason versus Ash movie which would have suited the style definitely a lot better than someone like pinhead would yeah but then it would also be like i don't know i feel like that is just too comical at that point yeah i mean i, I think it, it's it just was, my it was think, really cheesy to begin with honestly yeah though. exactly i mean i think it's just my need and want for bruce campbell to be in everything that's ever been made for existence 
I mean, um, I I love Bruce Campbell. I get yeah. it. <laughs> uh, number four, the British Board of Film Classification had to check that no rats were harmed in the making of the movie. The wriggling rats that you see were animatronics and very good ones as they are. There were no uh, no rats harmed in the making of Hellraiser. It's always good to so, know. That we fucking know of. And no... <laughs> And number five, which is my last one, Pinhead's makeup. It took roughly six hours to apply Pinhead's prosthetic makeup on Doug Bradley every day. Over the course of the franchise, Bradley became so good at applying and removing the makeup on set that he's often been credited as a makeup assistant on several of the Hellraiser films. Once yeah, they Bradley got it walked- down to like four hours. Yeah, I, I mean, it's still a long time, isn't it? But that's I don't know. Two hours off. That's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I just, I don't know if I can do that, you know? I don't, I don't know have if the I'm. Patience. I would no. be so bored. And also, like, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm super claustrophobic and loving all these special effects my whole life and, and you know, watching all these behind the scenes documentaries and all that sort of stuff. You know, you see all these people go through it. I mean, very recently we saw it with Vecna in The Stranger Things. Um, series and to see that they what they go through I'm like nah fuck it I don't know if I'd be able to do it but then also at the same time I probably could if I was getting paid a shitload of money I was gonna say sometimes when you see them going through like eight hours of makeup you're like well they do they do pay them a lot (laughs) yeah it's like oh I don't know if I want to do that how's 10 mil sound to you I'll do whatever you fucking want you know what? Uh, give me a brownie. I got this. <laughs> give me a brownie and some tequila and uh, I'll, I'll try and record a podcast episode. So there we go. That's that's the facts. I mean, that's it. What more do they fucking want? We've got we've got you've got uh, a <laughs> run through a full synopsis of what happens in Hellraiser. You've got some production info about the film just so you understand a little bit more of what went on into the making of this movie and with Clive Barker as well, but also that you got a few facts. So I hope that everybody really enjoyed that. But what is really important now, a bit that I love about the show is where me and Anastasia, we're going to talk about how we really feel about Hellraiser in its entirety. You know, what does it mean to us? What does it mean to horror? What do we like about it? What don't we like it? You can start. Because um, I've got to try and remember what words are. <laughs> Excellent. Well, um, let's go through it. Actually, do you know what? Let's do this. What's okay. let, let, what's your favourite scene in the movie? Okay. I, I think my favourite scene is probably that first time that you see Frank come out of the shadows in the suit. And he's starting to bleed through. And, you, and you're sitting there wondering why the hell he even bothers to have clothes on (laughs) but but, you know it's just enough to see just how creepy he is becoming from what he was but also like how close he is to getting sexual with julia again it puts you right at the edge of uncomfortable in the perfect sense because she's uncomfortable she's like oh i don't want to suck that (laughs) <laughs> mm. Mm. Yeah, i didn't I mean, want you but mm, not right this second mm. yeah like not like now with your goopy jizzy face yeah um, i mean you know it, <laughs> is, it, it is i mean you're right i mean i think 
the whole most of the film, the entirety of the film is pretty uncomfortable. It's very um, seedy. Yeah, it's very seedy. It's sort of dirty. Um, yeah, it is, so, the whole film is like a creepy like, uncle. At the yeah, at the very beginning, the dad is like. Oh, I don't want to do a thing to the house before she gets here. I just wanted her to see how it is right now, and it's like awful. Don't you want? You don't want to like maybe sweep, maybe put some new curtains up. Nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's like it, it's a right like, dingy house. Yeah, they have a dinner party in that thing with like seemingly cleaned up nothing. Yeah, Not and they're like all the guests are like walking around. They're like, is that black mold? No, that's just that's decor. That's you know, we're, we're going for this sort of, um, you know, you, you, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, it just looks a bit skanky. No, no, it's, <laughs> it's meant to be look like Julia sorted it out for me. Um, you know, it's, it, right. it, 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 but it, yeah, it looks like shit. I, I've asked you that question of what your favourite scene is. And then I, I sit and I was trying to think about this the other night. And I think for me, it's pretty much any scene with the Cenobites um, purely because it's like it's almost that stark impact instantly that you get whenever they're on the screen from the first time you see them to the last time that you see them on there every single time you're left wanting more well you're like it's this danger that i don't fully understand yeah yeah like like i mean i'll talk, you know what i'll talk about this in a little bit as well but um but it's just it's just the characters um they're so interesting yet something about them isn't there um but then at the same time you know they know you know that they're gonna fuck you right up oh yeah absolutely so so yeah for me i just love the film well in regards to scene wise when when they're there what you know what it is when they're there and you look at them you're like all right they did that shit to themselves what are they gonna do to me yeah yeah that's true in it yeah um <laughs> yeah is you're right that's that's 100 percent true in it they did that shit to themselves so you know that you know that they ain't gonna shit, give a shit about you aren't they mm-hmm. um so yeah i mean yeah it's difficult once so basically what you've done is you've choose, chosen a scene in the film that is your favorite i haven't uh, and i've done a really shit job but um <laughs> i i <laughs> but <laughs> But I think so. What I'd, let's try and section it. I don't know. I'm, I want to try and section it without trying to do stuff. So let's look at it. I mean, I think let's talk about the Cenobites. So one thing is, like I always talk about iconography. Um, I think for me, everything that happens in this film, really, the iconography is Pinhead and the Cenobites. Pinhead mostly, but the Cenobites. They are what really, for me, is known throughout the horror universe uh, as being... Also, the puzzle box itself. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. You are 100% right. Um, And the puzzle box itself. They are, in regards to iconography, it's very important to horror uh, and, and a standout in horror. But I would actually probably say that that is more so than the film itself. For me personally. I feel like a lot of people will know who Pinhead is and what movie he came from, but won't know anything about the movie. No, um, even to the extent of 
like every time I watch this film, I forget how smutty it is and how you know how it's you know. Oh yeah. The and I, I genuinely forget about how much. And I've seen this film a lot throughout my life, and I genuinely forget how much there is of talking, you know, about this affair. How much Julia does for him, or Julie? I've forgotten her name already. And how fucking weird and dirty Frank is. Uh, and how noncy he is. But then at the same time, so many times I forget that they're around because I expect the Cenobites and Pinheads to be at the forefront of this movie. And they're not. But, and they're not. They're literally in it for, what, like four scenes or something like that. Um, yeah. And and that's it. And they're pretty much there and gone. But yet what is so interesting is that they created a whole like you said, a whole franchise from from those characters. Um, well, and that's because the, the movie isn't really about them, so that opens it up for the other films to actually explore yes. their their story, their background. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that and that that what makes it that's what makes it really interesting. The only thing that sucks about that is that pretty much all the other films were shit. Yes. So so yeah. so that's why uh, I I only did this episode and I've been looking and doing more episodes of the show where I sort of involve more of the the films like if I was going to do child's play or Friday the 13th and involving more of those films of the thing but you don't I feel like you don't really need to with Hellraiser it's one of you those don't. things where where the second like, one is, the second is good good but it's but really it. weird yeah it's, it's like very weird yeah the second one is very, very, very weird. And then from that point onwards, you know, you've got, they're watchable, but then some of them aren't even that. And then you get one where there's like, you know, Superman's in one of them. If, okay, you know, you've gotten to the ones that are completely unwatchable, like with the exception of the one from this year, if Doug Bradley's not in it. Yeah. And also, um, you know, when one of them starts getting like CDs in his head. That was weird. Oh um, yeah, that one's pretty <laughs> pretty bad. But but yeah, it, but this once again is what's so interesting because so many times do we get this this these things where we get these franchises that continue and continue and the films get shit and shit and shit and they sort of then end up tarnishing the impact or uh, the relevance or the quality of the original film, but yet. They don't with this one. Like this film's to me still feels like a film that could be a standalone movie. Yeah, totally, totally. Uh, and that's that's what makes it really interesting for me. One of the things that obviously I've mentioned already is the score. I I genuinely I think the score is fantastic in this film. Uh, it's a driving force. I think if they'd have gone another route, you wouldn't have had the scope that it feels like. You know, music. And sound is so important to horror films uh, oh, that, it, that it can be make or break for a film. And I, I think that the score that they went with in this film from the very first scene gives it that bigger budget, bigger movie feel. And I love that about it. I think it's a great, uh, I think the film sounds great. Yeah, absolutely. It does. Uh, I can't imagine it with a different score, honestly. No, no, I, I, it's, it's difficult to. It is really difficult to. Also, obviously, the film itself looks fantastic. I'll talk a little bit about that as well. Um, but the, the film itself looks really, really good. But like we've already said before, 
predominantly a lot of that is through the special effects which are absolutely fantastic in this film once again possibly a driving force for the continued existence of the Hellraiser movies it's sort of one of the things when we talked uh when I was doing the Nightmare on Elm Street episodes and no matter how you feel about the films and and so on or where you rank them and so on one thing that's a mainstay is how you watch them and you're constantly in awe of how incredible these real practical effects that people have physically put their heart and soul into they're still no matter what the quality of the film is the quality of the special effects is always there and hellraiser is is another example of that yeah absolutely and then with this film uh i think once again we always the older we get and i'm well old now so i've had a lot of time to look and think about it one of the things with with these films and and the more we watch them and the older we get the more we we look at them in different ways like we do with so much in life we look at things differently and um one of the things that i really take from hellraiser now in all honesty is what a very good job clive barker did yeah you know this was his first film that he he directed he wasn't happy with the work that had become you know was was created uh, off anything that he had you know written or anything beforehand he had and a stab he, at it himself yep and he didn't know what he was doing and no. unlike stephen king he did really well on his first film that he directed yeah exactly i mean i you wouldn't Not- not a dig at King, but even King has disowned his movie that he made. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. It's, you know, this film, I think for me, when I watch these films now and stuff, I always find that there's something, an element that I take from it that is overlooked. And I think that, the for me, the biggest part of Hellraiser that is overlooked is Clive Barker, the, the importance of Clive Barker, not just the fact that, yes, this is his story, but it's the fact that he's actually telling his story through directing it and doing a very good job at it. Could it be better? Yeah, absolutely. Could we have more of, you know, Pinhead and, and Chatterbox and all the other Cenobites? Absolutely, because like I've already said, for me, that's the most interesting element of the film. You know, we've already spoken about it, but... Once again, it becomes the whole terrifier thing. Terrifier one, it didn't for me. And I, I spoke about this in a video I did. It's a shameless plug for myself now, isn't it? But I did a video about it recently that's up on the YouTube channel where I talk basically about all things terrifier. But in terrifier one, for me, it lost what the most interesting part to the story and art clown was was from All Hallows Eve. But then we gained that and a fucking million much more in mm. Terrifier 2. Absolutely. So, and that's what I feel a little bit like with, with Hellraiser, that the most interesting aspect of the film isn't actually the driving force of it. The driving force of the film is this, you know, dirty affair that these nymphomaniacs are having. And, you know, she's in love with him. He don't give a fuck about her. And and that's essentially like, you know, that's the, the story. But then in between it, we've got these very interesting characters that you don't know about, but you want to know about. 
so that for me potentially was one of those things where could have been handled bit maybe a little bit differently if you had an experienced director yeah Um, but when you look at the film in general in regards to cinematography there's nothing wrong with it it's got some very nice shots in it it looks great it's creepy it's creepy yeah the pace of the film is good there's nothing where you're like i'm fucking bored no Um, it keeps your interest for sure exactly and i feel that it's also what i really like about it is because it's directed by the man himself that it feels like it's almost about as true as you can get to what he could achieve for his his own work yeah yeah it's you know it's what have you got have you got anything you want to speak about with with about hellraiser we have gotten a little sloshier since the beginning of the the podcast (laughs) um but i i don't know i i love i love it for what it is i enjoy every aspect of it the whole twisted psychosexual affair between frank and oh hang on hang on you bloody did it hang on you said psychosexual hang on i'm gonna do it i did Mm, gross that's well i'll be sleeping well yep (laughs) (laughs) um but i appreciate that as well as the fact that it's a door into the cinebites world i think it's a fun cautionary tale you know be careful what you wish for yeah exactly might want to rip you apart with spikes (laughs) yeah exactly you know people people sometimes crave you know anything sexual or seduction a little bit too much plain but pain versus pleasure you know, There's sometimes... another movie that gets really into this, uh, actually, but it gets like uh, it's not nearly as well done. But uh, you may have heard of it. It's called uh, Strangeland. And oh, oh, vaguely, I think I have heard of it. It came out in like '96. It's written and directed by D. Snyder of Twisted Sister fame. Oh, what a legend! Yeah, and he like meets Linda Cardellini on the internet and she's a teenager and he lures her to his like creepy dungeon where he does horrible sadomasochistic shit to her but he yeah but he himself is like covered in tattoos and extreme body modification and talks about the ascension of pleasure and pain and all this stuff. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen Hellraiser. D. <laughs> I've seen it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, overall thoughts on Hellraiser is, it's one that just, could, yes. Not, it, not perfect. Classic. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, it, it's a great, it's a good movie. It's not perfect, but it is a classic and, and it's iconic, but it, but it is one of those that deserves to be. Not just because the iconography of the characters. Yeah, it stands on its own two feet. Yeah, and like I said, I think it is overlooked of how of much of a good job a first-time director in Clive Barker did. That's one thing I hope that people take away from this, that next time they watch the film, they go, do you know what? You're, you know, he did. He did a very, very good job. Well done, Clive Barker. Right? This for... man didn't know what he was doing at all. And this is it, what we no. got. 
this is what we got. He thought a plate of spaghetti was a lens. <laughs> so, so he had no idea what he was doing, but yet he pulled it out of the hat. And now in 2022, X amount of years later, I'm too drunk to figure it out, that, uh, that, that, he, uh, that it's still iconic. I mean, I, I have a friend and it's she... years later, by the way. How many? 35? Blimey, that's a while, isn't it? But I, have I know because I'm 34. Uh, but I, I have a friend and she, ever since I've known her, and I've known her since I was 18, when I first started working at a cinema, and she has always been with me on this sort of like journey through horror. She loves horror films. And she has always been like the number one fan of Hellraiser. Uh, she absolutely loves it. She loves like, you know, the fact that it's well sexy and all that. And um, and she literally loves, you know, Pinhead, Doug Bradley. Uh, I think she's met him a couple of times as well. But I know I've met Doug Bradley as well, and he was a very nice gentleman as well. And once again, very unlike the people that you see on the screen, which is very common for, for the actor. I mean, that's basically the sign of a good actor, isn't it? And but- it would be a little bit, oh, I mean, I would be a little taken aback if I found out that Doug Bradley, like in his like late 60s, is just chilling with pins in his head. I mean, more power yeah. to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she she absolutely loves loves Hellraiser. And, uh, you know, if she ever listens to this, I hope we've done her or, you know, done a, done a good job for her because uh, I'll hear about it. If not, she'll probably beat the shit out of me. Um, yeah, I hope we did you proud. Yeah, hopefully we did you proud. And I hope that, you know, obviously everybody else has enjoyed us talking about Hellraiser. But as we said, overall, it's a good film that, you know, maybe looking at being dated over time. But I wouldn't say too much because, you know, we still are walking, you know, watching and and analysing these films that have been around for so much longer. But if you analyse this film, as we said, it's a good film. It's not perfect. But it was never going to be perfect because it's a first-time director with Clive Barker, the man who created it all anyway. It's an insight to the mind. Luckily, not probably too much because there are probably a lot more spanking in it and, you know, more <laughs> thrust and more thrusting. To quote Joe Bob Briggs here, making movies is hard and this guy yeah. made one. So let's watch he- it. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly it. Um, So hopefully everybody takes that away from it. But yeah, it's a good film. It's not perfect, but it's an icon for a reason. And I know that uh, there's a lot of people out there within the horror community highly regard this film and and in all honesty, uh, so they so they should. So they should. It is is an absolute classic. Um, We've spoken about Hellraiser. So the best thing for you to do now is is to promote away go let us know you've got the amazing okay. horror versus reality and you've got the amazing attack of the killer objects Te- tell us all about them oh yes so horror versus reality is my true crime horror movie podcast that i co-host with my former college roommate morgan who i've been friends with for a long time now I talk about a horror movie that is based on a true story every episode. And then Morgan talks about the true story that it uh, is based on. And it's usually a crime. That is kind of what we make sure of. It's not just, there's some kind of seedy, crimey aspect. 
so we, we don't have like supposed hauntings or anything like that it's uh more based in reality or at least the crimes are sometimes the movies get a little creative with the um interpretation of what happened take a few liberties <laughs> they take a few liberties you know and that's fine it makes it fun it's hollywood yeah and then so <laughs> yeah and we have guests on sometimes like you're such as yourself and yeah. then my other podcast is attack of the killer objects which is also a horror movie podcast it's a little more laid back less stressful because there's all fictional murder <laughs> <laughs> and it's and it's just schlocky fun because every episode is a different you know outlandish thing for you to kill you bp was on for my episode on rubber which is about a killer tire which right is now. absolutely absurd and it's just more fun stuff like that um coming up with both of my podcasts um i'm about to do an episode for horror versus reality on the 2019 film, The Golden Glove, which is about the German serial killer Fritz Hanka. It's a brutal, dingy movie about a brutally ugly real life man, and you should check it out. And I'm doing, believe it or not, over on Attack of the Killer Objects, I will be talking about Stephen King's first and only directorial film, maximum overdrive where all the objects are killer objects yeah and the thing is i do i i do love that film i don't know what it is about it but there's <coughs> something about it there's it's probably a, just it's probably emilio estevez you do have emilio estevez emilio <laughs> <laughs> you do have emilio estevez which is fantastic but also you know i like the the, the humor in it like for instance, when all the like appliances start going crazy, the there's just an electric knife that's not plugged in. So it's just like kind of hopping around like, oh, <laughs> nobody to the, kill. It, the good thing like about that film is uh, sort of like what we mentioned with Clive Barker earlier. It's almost once it's like an insight into the mind of someone like Stephen King. Who was uh, coked out of his mind at the time. Who's so. absolutely off his fucking nut. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so so it's always, you know, probably the best time to have got him. Yeah. And he <laughs> managed to get the, because he had a little more pull from the um, box office at this point. He managed to get ACDC to do the entire. Yeah. What a soundtrack, hey. Soundtrack, yeah. Yeah, so, if it, I tell you what, everyone, whoever's listened to this, if you've never seen Maximum Overdrive, fucking go and watch it. You can see that absolutely crazy film as it is. Amazing soundtrack, Emilio Estevez, Stephen yeah. King directed it, and then you can go and watch that before you go and listen to the episode. Exactly, that's what you should do. Absolutely. Well, look, I mean, look, I I love horror versus reality because what's great about it is that it doesn't do what so many things seem to do now which is um almost glorify these nasty pieces of shit you know true crime as we know is is everywhere it is a hot topic and as it has been for a long time but there is so much of the glorification of these people and horror versus reality doesn't do that um, yeah we and, talk serious shit about the killers like yeah, yeah exactly and that's what i loved about when i came on the show and i was a guest 
Um, and we talked about the Jonestown and, and obviously Ty West film, The Sacrament. Not only did I really enjoy, you know, talking about the films and stuff, but I really enjoyed this sort of intelligent conversation uh, about it that I wasn't really part of because I'm not intelligent, but it was nice sitting oh. there. It was nice sitting there hearing you talk about it. Um, I felt I was like a listener rather than a guest, but in like the best way. Um, and then obviously when I came on Attack of the Killer Objects, we talked about rubber and that was, you know, a, a different experience as well. And that's what I think, uh, you know, people will, you know, will really love about your shows that they, and that, that they already do a love about your shows. They're two completely different shows, both bloody brilliant, unique, and uh, people need to fucking go and listen to them. Simple Thank as that, you. really. Thank you people kindly need to for that. I mean it, yeah. you know what I mean? I don't talk shit. And also I'm, I'm too far, you know, when you've drunk too much, you're more honest than anything. And I've had, a, I don't know how many shots I've had now, so it's been a lot <laughs> it's been a few and it's all tequila so i um i won't be doing this again so don't worry hopefully <laughs> there were, there's no i was literally do you know what one for the road i won't be talking that much about psycho psychosexual horrors that often here we go yep. there's another one <laughs> bloody hell and um i'm not I almost literally almost fucking said this word again like that's how dumb i am um but but thank you obviously so much for being on the show uh, again you were you have been on the show before when we did the thing yes. obviously you know there will be uh, many more times hopefully in the future so thank you for coming on the show absolutely thanks for having me so we've made it through another episode somehow as you can probably tell i've definitely got drunker throughout the episode so hangover is going to be a motherfucker because i'm old and i definitely can't handle them like i used to so i'm probably gonna be zombified for the next like two months or two years you never know with these hangovers anymore but once again i've had an amazing guest on the show anastasia i i love having conversations with her because she's so passionate and honest with everything she says about you know the, the horror verse and, and everything that it is so make sure you go and listen to Attack of the Killer Objects. Make sure you go and listen to Horror Versus Reality because they are both brilliant podcasts. I listen to them. So what more of a recommendation do you need? They're bloody brilliant. So go and listen to them. But now is the time in the podcast where I can do my favourite segment because it's the only proper real segment, <laughs> which is your first time. So just to recap for anyone who hasn't listened to the show before, and I hope that everybody has, if you haven't, welcome. But your first time is where you amazing listeners, followers, subscribers, send me over uh, a message, mostly a DM on Twitter or Instagram, mostly Instagram. And you send me over the first experiences you can remember with watching a horror film. And I absolutely love reading these. You know I do. And I love putting them in the show so you can all hear them. And you can all get nostalgic with me and with them about this genre, the memories of this genre. I always say this, but we never forget our first time with a horror film. Because it is either the thing that sends us on this journey that we have never looked back on and have consumed ourselves within it, or it gives you nothing but fucking trauma and you're fucked for the rest of your life. You'll never watch a horror film again, but you still remember 
what got you to that point so as i say you know i love doing this so i've got a couple for you as usual and the first one was sent over to me on instagram by missy underscore chair and she put my first real horror memory is watching american werewolf in london aged eight at a party with older cousins on a much copied vhs Although the first true horror may be seen Watership Down at the Northampton ABC. She also saw the film earlier on in the year at my local indie cinema who did a small season of 80s films. It was good to see but strangely less scary. She's talking about American um, Werewolf in London, not Watership Down. Watership Down will always remain fucking traumatising for everyone. But yeah, you know, American werewolf in london what an amazing film that is it's one of those films that every time you watch it it is a film that gets better every time you watch it because not only are the effects some of the best you'll see but you're always mesmerized once again every time you see it but then it's funnier than you remember and it's gorier than you remember and the story and the pace and everything works well it's one of those films once again that there's a reason why it's considered a classic so a big thank you for Missy underscore chair for sending me that over on Instagram. And then the next one that we've got is from a page on Instagram, which is, oh, look, another fucking horror page, which stay with them because I think they may be potentially going through a name change or rebranding uh, at some point. But stay with them but go and check them out on Instagram if you want to, you know, search for any more horror related content. But he put, uh, well, from what I can recall, watching A Nightmare on Elm Street on VHS and was immediately hooked and wanted to watch the whole series. And then they remember that they were watching as many scary movies as they could get their hands on after that and watching them until they were worn out. They also recall wanting to see a movie in the cinema, but was still too young. And when was eventually released, watched it multiple times. So once again, you know, another person along this journey through horror from a young age, because that's where it gets us right. And uh, they haven't looked back. It's a nice thing because that's what this genre is full of niceties where we get to speak to people all over the world who share this love, this passion for this genre with you. You know, 2022 is now now over. And what an incredible year it was for horror an in fucking insane year for horror but it was an absolute amazing year for the let's talk horror channel and i've spoken a lot about that in regards to 2022 but we are now in 2023 with much more horror delights to come we've got so many films coming out this year some films that were delayed and are actually coming out this year we've got big films like evil dead rise coming out uh, another scream it's going to be another big year for horror. But for me, I hope that the consistency is there in regards to the quality and quantity. We were very, very, very lucky with 2022 because we had the quantity, but the consistency of the quality was fantastic. It was unlike a year I'd probably ever seen in my lifetime. So now what 2023 needs to do is up its game in regards to doing more of that for us. We want more. We, we always do. We're horror fans. We want more because 
we love it when we get to this point where we're like fuck like there's so much that we can watch and there's so much we can get behind like terrifier 2 and things like that that we can't wait to see where that goes next obviously that won't be 2023 but there's so much to look forward to in this year but what do i want for the show just for it to evolve the way that it has the way that it does and in all honesty for what i want it to be you know from the day i started this show if you've been with me on this journey you know that i've always seen so much more for the let's talk horror channel for the very limited time that i have and that's why i so much appreciate all the support that you have given me and the show through 2022 and will always i know continue to give me it's not easy doing this and i do this on my own i have no no co-hosts or anything like that it is just me sitting here recording the podcast editing the podcast doing the promo for the podcast doing the videos for the youtube channel editing those all the promo that goes on instagram twitter everything is me which is probably why it's so shit (laughs) but it is it's just me and i work really really hard in bringing you like i said with the limited time that i have in real life especially at the moment that i do everything i can to bring you the best quality of content that i feel that i can bring out to you and that's where you come in because you are the ones that will help the show reach new audiences you are the ones that will help the show evolve if you're listening and you enjoy it then please rate it or review it and even more importantly share it on you can do that on all your social media pages or you can just do it out in public and say well here's somebody that likes horror well have you listened to the let's talk horror channel it's somebody who is so honest passionate and loves this genre that you can go and listen to talk about it or you can go and watch them on youtube there's so much that you all can do for the show if you enjoy it because the more that you do the more i can do i i want this let's talk horror channel to be and as i have always said the place for people to go if they want to have fun and they want to enjoy somebody you know talking for a podcast or in a video format on youtube just enjoying this genre and that's all i've ever wanted to bring out and I've always wanted it to be a little bit different, which I think that it is. And I think it's successful at that. So now, as I always say, the rest is down to you. You are all absolutely amazing. We are only at the start of the year. I hope you've enjoyed this first episode. There's going to be plenty more surprises to come for the rest of the year. And I already know quite a few of the episodes I'm doing and I cannot wait to bring them to you. And I already know some of the guests and I can't wait for you to uh, hear them on the episodes. I'm sure I will guest on other people's podcasts as well, which I absolutely love because I don't have to do as much work. I just sit there and talk shit. But yeah, just enjoy horror. Enjoy the Let's Talk Horror channel. Please go and follow us, subscribe, rate, review, listen do everything you can to support the show that I know you will and share it on 
the more new listeners, the more new followers, subscribers I can get, the more I can do. So as usual, thank you all so much for listening. I love you all. You're bloody brilliant. And stay creepy. Thank you.